in a mess. Our world is a mess. One session of the evening news is enough to depress anybody. We live in a world filled with hurricanes and fires and deadly viruses and cancer and murder and rape and molestation and perversion and the like. We live in a world where people kidnap and kill little children. We live in a world where people die because they're bitten by a spider or a snake. We live in a world where people call evil good and good evil. We live in a world where people celebrate sin and revel in it and parade it. We live in a world of tragic car crashes and childhood leukemia and broken families. We live in a world that is broken and hard To be honest with you, quite terrible at times. We're in a mess. And at times, we're a mess. Our lives are a mess. We struggle and struggle and struggle. We lose our tempers, our morals, and our good judgment. We sin, we drop the ball, we let people down. We struggle with our weight, our health, and our relationships. We love things more than we love God, thereby committing idolatry. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we lust and covet, we cuss, we drink, we smoke. We do all sorts of things to try to cope with the strains and the stress of life. We grow cynical, we grow bitter and angry, and we live frustrated most of the time. Everywhere we turn, we're in a mess. William McDonald was correct when he said we live in a sighing, sobbing suffering world. We hate it. We hate it. We wish we could change it. We don't want it. But it seems that we are chained to it. Well, today, I want to talk to you, beloved, about dealing with our mess. We're surrounded by a mess, and at times we are a mess. And if you haven't already, I want you to turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 8. We find ourselves picking up our study today at verse 19, and we'll be there in a moment. But I want to talk to you about dealing with our mess. I don't think it's any argument we have to make that we're in a mess, we live amidst a mess, and at times we're a mess. And so I want to explore this whole idea of dealing with our mess. And I want to do it by exploring three important questions with you. You might want to grab a pen or a pencil and jot down some notes. Three important questions when it comes to dealing with our mess. Now, if you're not a mess, if you don't ever have a mess, if you don't feel like you live in a mess, you can go. Just going to be honest with you. You might as well leave because the rest of us are going to stay here and we're going to deal with our mess today and talk about how to do that. So three important questions when it comes to dealing with our mess. Number one, I think we need to start here. How do we get in this mess? (laughs) How do we get in this mess? Um, one word, sin. We disobeyed God. Our representative, Adam, he failed and disobeyed and ate that forbidden fruit and went from the Garden of Eden to the world in which we live today, a horrible, messed up world. I know you're in Romans 8. I just had you turn there. Would you put your finger there because we're coming right back and just go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. We need to read again what happens after they ate of the forbidden fruit. Now remember, they were living in paradise, a perfect couple in a perfect place. Everything was perfect. Perfect fellowship with God. 
No sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no crying. None of that. Everything was perfect. And then they decided to disobey God as our representative. And so when they fell, we fell. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, we have the Lord is talking to them after they have sinned. He addresses the woman first in Genesis 3:16 to the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then he turns and speaks to Adam, verse 17. Then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now think about it. They went from perfection to the mess we deal with today. Think about it. Now, you're back in Romans 8, I hope. And I want you to see that the creation is described, beginning in verse 19, it's described as groaning. Now, we just read that God said that the ground is cursed because of you, thorns and thistles, and you're going to labor, you're going to sweat, it's going to be hard. And I want you to read with me in Romans 8, beginning at verse 19. And it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. In other words, things are not the way that God originally made them. Things are not functioning completely the way that God desired for them to function. The reason your roof leaks, the reason your tires go flat, the reason you struggle with a cold, the reason you fall and break your leg and worse, is because when we fell, the creation did too. And it is under a curse. Our choice to disobey God... It uh, brought about a curse upon the creation itself. And it says that the creation itself, it groans and it labors waiting for the day when it will no longer be like it is right now. And so the creation is groaning. But not only the creation, we're groaning. Pick up your reading there at verse 23. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. Now, this is talking about believers, those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're adopted into the family of God, but we're not yet fully enjoying the fullness of our salvation. We're waiting for the completion of all of this. We're waiting for the redemption of our body. Now, think about it. Would it not be cool if someone walked down an aisle and they knelt at an altar... And they prayed to receive Christ. And at that moment, they are forgiven their sin and adopted as a child of God. And their body is changed. And they come down to the altar and they stand up and they're a real, live, breathing Ken or Barbie. Perfect. 
How cool would that be? Now, the reality is I came and knelt and I still look like this because that's not, it's not done. We don't have the redemption of our body yet. And we're aging and we're decaying and our backs hurt and our medicine cabinets are getting fuller by the month. Why? Because we have not yet received our perfect glorified bodies. And so we struggle. Although some might actually enjoy the benefits of aging. I found this this past week. It was quite interesting. When I'm an old lady, I'll live with each kid and bring so much happiness just as they did. I want to pay back all the joy they provided, returning each deed. Oh, hell, they'll be so excited. I'll write on the wall with reds, whites, and blues and bounce on the furniture wearing my shoes. I'll drink from the cart and then leave it out. I'll stuff all the toilets and oh, how they'll shout. When they're on the phone and just out of reach, I'll get into things like sugar and bleach. Oh, they'll snap their fingers and then shake their head. And when that is done, I'll hide under the bed. When they cook dinner and call me to eat, I'll not eat my green beans or salad or meat. I'll gag on my okra, spill milk on the table. And when they get angry, I'll run, if I'm able. I'll sit close to the TV, through the channels I'll click. I'll cross both my eyes just to see if they stick. I'll take off my socks and throw one away and play in the mud till the end of the day. And later in bed, I'll lay back and sigh. I'll thank God in prayer and then close my eyes. My kids will look down with a smile slowly creeping and say with a groan, she's so sweet when she's sleeping. <laughs> there are some benefits to aging, I guess, and, and some look forward to it, but the truth of the matter is the majority of our life is filled with groaning. And we're groaning. And we're groaning. Creation is groaning. We are groaning. How did we get in this mess? Sin. Sin plunges in this mess. That's why we're a mess. That's why we're living a mess. And so the question we've got to deal with next is how long will we be in this mess? Because really, that's what we really want to know. How long will we be in this mess? Well, long story short, for the child of God will not be in this mess forever. Hallelujah. It's not forever. Now, if you die without Christ, you're going to go from one mess to something much worse, the lake of fire. That's just the reality of it. That's what the Bible teaches. This is the best you're ever going to get in life if you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I beg you today to repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ. Don't die without Christ. But for those of us who've given their lives to Jesus Christ, all of this is temporary. You're back in Romans 8. Now pick up at verse 23 again. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves. But, but watch, we don't just stop there. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. How long are we going to be in this mess? Well, if you're a believer, for the individual believer, the answer is this. Until you die or until the rapture, whichever comes first. At the moment of your death, child of God, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, the Bible says that you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. And then one day when Jesus comes back, you'll get your resurrected, glorified body. And so you're going to be in the midst of all this mess, you're going to struggle with your own mess until you die. Or, 
until the rapture happens. By the way, nothing else has to happen before the rapture. The rapture could happen this very moment. Even so come Lord Jesus. But if you're alive when the rapture comes, you get that glorified, resurrected, perfected body at that moment. And what a glorious thing that will be. At the moment of the rapture where the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive remain shall be caught up to be with the Lord, and so shall we be forever with the Lord. Let me read you a passage. You've heard it probably many times. I want to read it in a different translation. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58 in the NLT. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, this Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters... Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Oh, what a day it's going to be, beloved, when we are no longer a mess. When we have our glorified, resurrected, perfect bodies. No more cholesterol. No more high BMI. No more dieting. Just perfect perfection. Pain-free. Forever. And not just us, but the creation itself. Remember it said that the creation groans like a woman in labor. Well, after the labor pangs and pain, there is the birth of a baby. In other words, there's glory after the pain. I get the privilege of visiting a lot of new mothers after they've given birth and they're there in the hospital. We go and visit them and, and pray with them and rejoice with them. And very seldom do they ever talk about the pain. Now, they had a lot of pain. There was a lot of pain. But what are they focused on at that moment? They're focused on the baby, the glory after the pain. And it's a reminder, beloved, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be glorious. A return to Eden, if you will. And all the mess that we deal with here will no longer be. We're in a mess, but we won't always be in that mess. We are a mess, but we won't always be a mess. But that brings me to the third question this morning, and that's this. How do we cope with this mess? Because the reality is we're still in it for now. How do we cope with it? How do we handle the mess that we're in? I mean, we don't know how much longer before we die. We don't know how much longer before the rapture takes place. We know there's a long time even after that before there's a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, we live in the midst of a mess. We are a mess. So how do we cope with it? How do we deal with it? What do we do now? Because God has left us here. 
I mean, he could just save us and just boom, we're in heaven. That's not the way he works. He saves us and redeems us and cleanses us and leaves us here to live. And this life is a gift. Well, the good news is when it comes to coping with our mess, God did not leave us to ourselves. You're still in Romans 8, right? Drop down to these verses. I love these verses. We could have actually separated these out and looked at them separately, but we're going to look at them in the midst of this that we're studying today because it comes in to tell us that we're not alone. Look at verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us Interesting, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you noticed that theme? The creation's groaning, we're growing, groaning, and now the Spirit is groaning. Look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now don't just kind of read that and say, uh-huh. And don't gloss over it and miss what he's saying there. First of all, it says very plainly that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He helps us in our weaknesses. And that word help is quite interesting in the original. In fact, Roberts has said the Holy Spirit, this is what it means in the original, the Holy Spirit lays hold of our weaknesses along with us and carries his part of the burden like two men carrying a log, one on each end. Picture in your mind a log, and one man's on one end, another man's on the other. Well, that's the picture. You're on your end, and the Holy Spirit picks up the other end. And He helps us in our... You ever tried to carry a heavy load by yourself? How much simpler is it? How much relieving is it to have someone come along and say, hey, let me grab the other end of that. And that's the picture here. The Holy Spirit is our helper and He helps us in our weaknesses. We don't carry the load alone in this life. God has given us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells every single Christian. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. You're not left to your own devices, your strength, your resources, your knowledge. God has given you the Holy Spirit and He helps you. But it's interesting. He talks about our weakness and He goes right away and talks about something that a lot of us feel very weak in. And that is He talks about our prayer life. I mean, look what He says again there. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Now, prayer itself is an admission of weakness. In fact, it's been said that prayer is a declaration of weakness. In other words, you have to humble yourself to pray and admit that you have needs and you are weak and you are ignorant and you don't have the necessary resources. And so you humble yourself and pray. And so we admit our weakness in prayer, but the truth of the matter is so many of us struggle in prayer and when it comes to our prayer life, we feel very very weak. I was reading just yesterday, I think it was, somebody said, you want to humble any Christian, just ask them about their prayer life. How's your prayer life? We feel weak in our prayer life. But listen, if that's you today, these verses are such an encouragement. Have you ever come to a time in your life and it's time to pray and you don't know what to ask for? 
I have. I was there yesterday. But look at what it says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So you're in good company. Paul understands that. But then notice what it says next. But, so you don't know what to pray for. You don't know what to ask for. You don't know what to say. You're at a loss. You're nonplussed. But, look at the rest of verse 26. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Notice it says, beloved, the Holy Spirit prays for us. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit prays for you. That's a glorious thought. The Bible also says that Jesus makes intercession for us. We've got Jesus praying for us. We've got the Holy Spirit praying for us. Hopefully we're praying for us. Hopefully other people are praying for us. But let's just focus what it says here. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. One of the greatest gifts you can ever give a person is to pray for them. But you know, when we pray for each other, sometimes we don't know what to pray for each other. You ever been there? <laughs> You're standing by the bedside of somebody who's sick or somebody who's dying, and you don't know exactly what to pray. Or there's a situation or a circumstance, and you don't know what to ask. You don't know what to say. But you can rest assured that when the Holy Spirit prays for you, He always prays perfectly. He always asks for what is right and His prayer is going to be answered. Look at verse 27. Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He, that is the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Of course He does. Why? Because He's God. God the Holy Spirit indwells us, is praying to God the Father, and He always asks for what's right and perfect because He's God and He knows what we need. Beloved, the truth of the matter is, because of our mess around us and the mess in us, we sometimes can't even form words to pray. You ever been there? You're so broken and sad and heartbroken and you can't even get words out. You can't even think straight. But have no fear. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. He's praying for you. And He helps us in our prayer. As someone noted, He even corrects some of our prayers on the way up. It rearranges. In other words, beloved, He knows our true needs. We don't always know our true needs. We think we do. We don't always know them. Um, um, he knows our hearts. He knows our burdens. He knows everything going on with us. And listen, He knows what we would ask for if we were smart enough to ask for it and know that we need it. And so He does ask for it on our behalf. I mean, we, we want to know what is it that God wants us to ask for? Well, He knows. And it says the Holy Spirit prays for us. Beloved, I don't know about you, but you know, we start out in a very discouraging way. The opening to this message was very unpleasant and it was very depressing and it was very heart-rending. It was very just, just negative and it was not pleasant to even listen to it. It was not pleasant to say it. And we've come through all of this. But beloved, the wonderful news is that we're in a mess and at times we are a mess, but we won't always be that way. We will not always be that way. But in the meantime, in the midst of your groaning, in the midst of all that we're dealing with, remember that glory is coming. Not always groaning, but glory. 
And in the midst of our weakness, when we're struggling along, remember that we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is helping you. And the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And so I say to you today, dear child of God, in the midst of the mess that you find yourself in, and in the midst of the mess that you find within yourself, look up, child. Your redemption is drawing nigh. We will not always be in this mess. There may be groaning now, but glory is coming and coming soon. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. We are a weak and needy people. Thank you that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and prays for us and prays perfectly for us. And Lord guides us and strengthens us and helps us in so many ways. Lord, I pray for those who are groaning in their own lives this morning. To help them to remember the glory that is waiting for them. They might look up and look beyond the present struggles to the coming glory when Jesus comes again. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you that in the midst of all of our mess, you reach down with love and hope and help. And Father, I pray again that if anybody here does not have the Holy Spirit living within them because they're not saved, I pray your Holy Spirit to work in their life and draw them to Christ today. Seal these truths to our hearts. May we chew on them. May we meditate on them. May we be forever changed by them. Let me pray this in the holy and precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I think of closing a hymn that's appropriate. It's number 423. The altar is open. You want to come and pray today. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you need to be saved today. Whatever the need might be, the altar is open. But 423, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like mine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Let's stand together, 423, and sing, I need thee every hour.